Well, like Dawn said, um, the first thing is you're back. That is like a victory. The second thing is some of you came for the first time. So like, how cool is that? Everybody's all here together. It's really, really awesome. Um, If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to the lecture because we did a lot of background and we talked about how at Rock Point, when we, when we study a book of the Bible, we want to start with a foundation, remember? We want to know um, who wrote it, when it was written, why it was written, all those details that kind of help us walk into it, right, and get a little better grasp on, on what we're reading. It was written to you. It was written to you. It was written to you, even if you've never even owned a Bible, Even if you've read this thing a hundred times over and it's all torn up. And it was written to you, but it was also written to specific people at a specific time, right? Um, Let's back up a little bit. What do you guys remember about the book of John that we talked about last week? Who wrote it? I was going to say, come on, guys. Come on. John. John, um, the apostle. And what, what do we know about John? Here's one thing that we know that is like my favorite thing, if you haven't figured this out yet is, you know, Jesus, when he came to this earth and had his earthly ministry here, and we hear all about it, right, in the book of John and in the other Gospels, but what's so cool is that, like, he had multitudes that followed him. Little by little, we see him gaining momentum, right? More people are following, more people are curious, so he's got a whole bunch of people. He's got the followers, but then he's got the 12, right? And that's who we always hear about, the 12 apostles, right? They're, they're, they're his truest, closest followers, but what he had was he had his three, didn't he? And we're going to learn more about that. But John is one of the three. And when we say that Jesus had his three, he had his three that were there for him for everything. There were his BFFs. There were his BFFs. John, James. No, yeah. John, James, and Peter. I had a moment. Um, but that's who John is. And so when we get to hear about Jesus' ministry through the eyes of his very best beloved friend, don't miss that there's more here than just a reporter reporting events. Amen. He's speaking from his soul about his beloved Savior. And we get to jump in and be in the story. You'll notice when you do your homework, you may have noticed this week, a lot of times I challenge you, and it's like half of us hate this question and half of us love it. It's like I go, okay, now pretend like you were there. Now, now pretend like you were there. Like, what do, what do you think? And it becomes more real, right? So as you read John's words, I want you to think about that. Pretend like you are there with John walking arm in arm watching this ministry unfold. We know that John wrote it. We know that it was written. Was it written when he was young? Was it written when he was old? He was old. It was like we, we, we suspect based on evidences and literary evidences and such that he wrote it way later on, like 50 years after Jesus walked on the earth and did his ministry. And we think that he probably wrote it for reasons like to fill in some gaps some things that weren't recorded about him that we get to know from the book of John. Do you remember how much I said the book of John is 90% of it is original content that there's nowhere else in the Bible? 90%. There's three other Gospels, but they don't tell us everything that John does. So we have this awesome moment of getting to hear from this very special, precious friend of Jesus's a perspective that we find nowhere else. So understand that this is important. It's important. The book of John. And so here's what we're going to do. I know in homework, you covered a lot of ground, right? You look a little, some of you look tired, a little tired, a little tired. Four chapters you did. Four chapters. That's a lot. I'm going to try super duper hard to cram a whole bunch of information in a short period of time. So bear with me. Um, So with that, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1. I'm going to hit kind of three main things today. We're going to talk about Jesus' arrival and the announcement of that arrival, okay? And then we're going to talk about some encounters and experiences. I think there's like six um, that we, or five or six or something. But we're going to talk about all those encounters and we're going to break them down a little bit and then we're going to focus in on just a couple because we can't focus on all of them or we guys will be here all day, which would be real fun, um, except I'm going to be hungry soon. So we're just going to have to zoom in a little bit. Um, and then lastly, we're going to ask this question. We're going to ask, am I a voice? The answer is yes. I'll give you the answer ahead of time. But what kind of voice am I? And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the first 18 verses in chapter 1 of John, okay? So open your Bibles to John 1, these first 18 verses. You know, like I said, we covered four chapters. It's like a lot of stuff. But here's what's cool about those first 18 verses. Do you realize, do you realize this? That in 18 verses, he prepares us for a great rescue that's coming, in 18 verses, he gets us introduced to themes. We see repetitive glimpses of why he wrote the book. We see who he's talking about who has come. And it's also the simplest vocabulary in the entire New Testament. 18 verses. 18 verses that we could read and have an understanding that a lot of us maybe couldn't lay out in chapters and chapters. These 18 verses are important. He tells us from the very beginning. Remember what I told you last week about John? He wasn't messing around, was he? He didn't do any of that nonsense like, hello, my name is John, and I am from the blah, 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 and I'm writing this, and therefore here, none of that, right? He gets right down to business because it's urgent. It's urgent, and I think you're going to sense it, and I hope you sense it. I hope you sense the urgency in today, 2018, how important this information is 18 verses. He's going to give us six truths that are going to take us through the purpose of the book of John. Okay, but hold your hand right there on chapter one, but then I want you to, we're going to jump ahead for like two seconds. Go to John chapter 20, verse 31 and th 30 and 31. Jump over there really, really super fast. The reason I bring us here is this. If you've got a Bible that has subtitles, it probably says this above John chapter 20, Verse 30, it probably says the purpose of this book. Thank you, John. I love a thesis statement. Out of the four Gospels, there's only two that actually tell us, that lay out the purpose of the book. I'm reading this to you now because I want you to consider the purpose as we go through those first 18 verses. The purpose of the book is this, John tells us. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And here it is. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the goal of John's book. That's the goal. So the first 18 verses, so go back over to John 1, and we're going to look at those 18 verses. I want you to remember that, that that's what he's trying to do from the very first verse. And let's see if he accomplishes giving us some of those truths that point us toward a believing faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The first is this. We're going to read through. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to just kind of read through and kind of throw out one of these titles to you as we read through the verses. So just follow along in your Bible and take notes if you want. Um, Chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 1 through 3, we learn this about Jesus. We learn that he is the eternal Christ. 
He's the eternal Christ. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, excuse me, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm going to pause. In the beginning, first three words of the book of John. Anyone ever heard those three words together anywhere else in the Bible? Genesis. Genesis. First three words of your Bible were about creation, about what happened in the beginning. This is not a coincidence. John doesn't play like that. Okay? He shares this beginning of this, this gospel is shared so that we understand. We're not talking about a guy, just a guy. Okay? Matthew shares the genealogy of Jesus. Remember, we talked about that. That the Jews, would, that would be real important to them, and so they would want to hear that. John doesn't go there. He's not giving us a human genealogy. What he's giving us is an eternal understanding that this is, was, always has been, always will be God. He just happens to be stepping into earth right now. Make sense? Eternal. He's infinite, and he steps down into a finite role. Don't misunderstand the fact that he has been, always has been God. He's the eternal Christ. In verse 2, it goes on and says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We have this eternal Christ. You know, the word, the word, it's borrowed from Old Testament language. The Jewish people would have understood when he says the word, they would have remembered it from the Psalms, like there's Psalm 33 and Psalm 107 and Proverbs, and they would have all understood that that word meant wisdom and truth. What's cool is that he also knows that that word is also borrowed from Greek philosophy. Remember we talked about the people that were receiving this gospel? It wasn't just to the Jewish people or just to the Gentiles who are not the Jewish people. It was to everybody. So he's like bridging this gap of understanding when he calls Jesus the word. They would have stopped and they would have taken notice. It says he was with God and he was God. Confusing? A little. Conflicting? No, not at all. I'm going to barely touch the surface of this, but if you have spent much time in the Bible and you've been around um, um, Jesus talk before, you probably have heard the term the Trinity, the triune God. Our God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three, three in one, they were all there at the beginning, and they're all there now, and the Holy Spirit is here with us now. We'll go into that a little bit more later, but I want you to understand there's no conflict and there's no um, uh, uh, Jesus becoming God. He's always been God. What he did become was man, fully God, fully man. So John lays it out in the very beginning. And so already I'm kind of imagining, like I said, we step into the story a little bit. I'm kind of like imagining everybody's going, like, what are you talking about right now? Right? It was probably a little shocking for them to hear him speak of Jesus this way. In verses 4 and 5, he goes on to explain that he's the incarnate Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Basically, when you say incarnate Christ, what you're saying is he is God becoming human form. That's it. That's what he's saying in those verses. In verses 6 through 8, he introduces us to the forerunner of Christ. Remember, we, we pushed pause and we hung out for a while. We went through verses 19 through, I don't know, like, like 40. And we talked about um, John the Baptist. Remember, what did we call him in the homework? JTB. JTB. Yeah, I think he probably went by that, if I were to guess. He had a very important role. What did he call himself? Do you remember? The voice. 
John the Baptist knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. He was not the Christ. He was not the one to be worshipped. He was the one to make the way. He was actually a fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. And it goes like this. It says, He is the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He makes paths straight. And John understood who he was. You know, if you rewind a little bit and you go back like into the book of Luke where it talks about um, uh, John the Baptist before he was even born and his mother Elizabeth was carrying him in her womb. You know what's crazy? You know what's so cool that I love so much? That John the Baptist in the womb recognized Jesus as his Savior. In the womb, verse 2, 41, and when Elizabeth, that's his mom, had heard the greeting of Mary, that's Jesus' mom, the baby leaped in her womb. Before he was even born, he had a purpose. He was the voice that went before the Christ. He knew who he was. Verse 7, he goes on to say, verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Important word about the the word witness. Um, For for so many people in this time, they needed physical witnesses to be able to um, account for things that occurred. Okay, think of it like a courtroom, how you need a witness to make something clear and real and true. And so that was his job. He was to bear witness, and that would have mattered to the people that would have heard this. Verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Okay, you know what's really cool about that? Okay, I love this. When he says all might believe through him, it's talking about John the Baptist. Now don't misunderstand. Remember, John the Baptist knows he is not Jesus. He is merely the voice pointing us towards Jesus. You think of it like this way. John the Baptist was the agent of belief. Like he was the one sharing. He was your friend who invited you to Bible study. He was the voice that brought you to the object of belief, and that's Jesus. I love that. I love that even in this book that John attributes the fact that people believed and came to know Jesus because of the voice of a guy named John the Baptist, who, if you read a little bit about him, was a little interesting. He was a little crazy. It's worth reading about. You need to go check into that. We're not going to go there today. He was an agent of belief. Jesus was the object of belief. He knew who he was and who he wasn't. He was humble. He called himself a voice. He never compared himself to anyone. The people tried to, didn't they? They tried to say, hey, but aren't you like the prophet? Or aren't you? And he said, I am only a voice. Wow. I love that. The interesting thing is we, a lot of people call him John the baptizer because we don't want to get confused in our modern day culture with, with, um, Uh, different denominations. It really had nothing to do with being a certain denomination or a sect of religion. But basically, they called him that because that's what he did. He went around baptizing people with water. It was an interesting thing. Now, the Old Testament and Jewish culture, they would have understood that, um, that there was an association between water and ritual cleansing. Like, they would have understood that. But what he was doing was a little unorthodox, honestly. But here's what I think we need to understand when we walk away from talking about baptism and John and being baptized. And then later Jesus comes and gets baptized. Here's what we need to understand. Are you ready? There is no water. There is no act that is going to save you other than accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a ceremonial, symbolic act that says... 
I repent, and all that is is a churchy word for like, I'm sorry because I recognize that I'm sinful and that I mess up and I can never get it right. So I repent. And then what John the baptizer did is he did this outward sign where he, he took him in the water and said, you've repented, now you're going to come up and you're clean. And you know what that means? That means I'm going to walk forward and live a changed life. That's all that means. It's a symbolic moment in a believer's life. It's not what saves you. It's a symbolic moment that represents salvation through Jesus. Clear as mud. It's important that we understand the difference. Because in this day and age and in that day and age, we can get so hung up, right? We get hung up on um, how many times I come to church, how often I, I, you know, do, I'll do all these things and I serve. and I, Okay, but here's the thing. I mean, that's all great and bless your heart and sweet and everything. But that's not what gets you closer to Jesus. I love that uh, we have examples of, of a thief hanging on the cross. And in the last moments of his life, he's forever saved with Jesus because of Jesus' voice. Because of this guy's choice to accept that voice and be saved. Not because of what he did. Not because he got down and got baptized. So with that thinking... I repent, there's an outward sign of baptism, and then there's a life change. Why did Jesus come and ask to be baptized? What do you think about that? That kind of blow your mind a little bit? I bet it blew everybody's mind. If John the baptizer is walking around telling everybody, no guys, this is who we've been waiting for, then that probably was confusing. Consider this. Why was Jesus baptized? He never lacked godliness. Be clear about that. Two reasons I found that kind of clarified it a little bit for me. And one was this, that prophecy came to life when that happened. In the book of Isaiah, like way back in the left side of your Bible in the Old Testament before Jesus came, way back there, this prophet, like he's talking about the fact that um, the Holy Spirit, didn't call it that, but kind of described it in this big flowy pretty terms, is going to come upon the one that God sends. And so when he was baptized, remember you read it in Matthew 3. You went back and read that part because it was like, what is, what is John the Baptist talking about here? He's, he's making me very confused. Remember, he was talking about how when Jesus came to him and asked to be baptized, then all of a sudden the voice from heaven came and everything happened and the doves flew out of his head. And Well, maybe not quite like that, but you know what I'm saying. That, that, was, that was when he knew this is the one. And so we needed that prophecy to come to life. The second thing is, John the Baptist needed to confirm Jesus' identity so he could go forth and witness to the deity of Jesus Christ. In John 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 31 through 34, remember he says this. You read this. He said this. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So he knew he was first. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him. But he sent me to baptize with water and said to me, He on whom you have seen the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God, and everything changed right then. Because now you have a witness Now you have a witness that's confirming the prophecy that was from way back when and who has seen the Spirit descend upon this guy. And all of a sudden, this isn't just a preacher with flowy hair anymore. Son of God got real. That's 
why Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Well, we go on, and in um, verses 9 through 11 in that first chapter, we see that he's then referred to, um, or actually missed, I should say. He's the unrecognized Christ. In this section here, we see the, world, the word world used. I'm going to read it. Chap- Let me just read it out loud to you. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now I'm going to pause. When you see the word world, which you'll see it a lot in the book of John, you'll see it like 78 times in this, in this book. He's usually using that in a negative way. He's usually talking about either the physical created universe or humanity in general. And often he's talking about the evil that dominates, the evil that opposes God, his word, and his people. Let me give you an example. The evil that doesn't want you to come here today and open your Bible and understand truth. It's a thing. So when he speaks of the word, it's not always positive. It's, it's, it's 100% of the time not positive. Okay. So what he's trying to say is the world was against him. And I feel like it's still true. It's just me. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. He's speaking of the world at large who who did not receive him. And then he's speaking specifically to the Jewish people who were part of the ones who put him on the cross. They were the ones that started the ball rolling. How about that? Unrecognized Christ. The fifth uh, truth that we find out in these verses is um, verses 12 through 13. And that he is an omnipotent Christ. He's an omnipotent Christ. We learn this, excuse me, starting in verse 12. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Think about this for a minute. We just heard that he got turned away by the world, he got turned away by the Jewish people, but you know what? There was a remnant of believers. There were some that followed. This remnant of believers, this is what's so cool, is you get, it's like the best news ever. It's like you have this unlimited authority and influence, this Christ that like can do anything. But yet, you know what he does? This is, this blows my mind. Still blows my mind today. He gives you a choice. He he gives you a choice. Like he's not going to make you a robot Christian. Okay, now I'm going to take you. He, He presents and gives a choice and we get to receive it as a gift. It's a choice. You walk out of here today and say, no thanks. It's your choice. Or you can receive him as the word of God, yield to allegiance to him, and understand that he gives the gift of salvation. You don't earn it. I want to say this, and I'm, I'm going to just say it. You know, a lot of times we approach in life, whether you know Jesus as your Savior, whether you've been in church since you were five, or whether it's the first time you've walked in the door, a lot of times we approach the throne of God this way, right? Well, like, let me get my scorecard out. Like, I'm, okay, I'm better than her because I did, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm better, I'm better than him. Okay, well, I'm better than I used to be. So surely God loves me more than, than that guy. Surely God loves me more than who I used to be, right? I'm in a better place. Or how about this? How about the friends that you invite to things and say, hey, just come, man. Just come show up at Bible study. We're, a, we're just a bunch of hooligans. We just hang around and talk about Jesus, and we're cool. And no, 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 I haven't, I haven't been in church in a long time. I don't even own a Bible. 
You know, I, I don't even, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's good for you. Guys, every one of us, he loves the same. Darkest place you've ever been in your life, awesome, bring it. Best place, cleanest, nicest, best, balancing precariously on good circumstances, awesome, bring it. We can't earn it, it's a gift. He goes on in the last four verses of this section, verses 14 through 18, and we learn about the glorious Christ, the glorious Christ. He says this, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. The message says the word became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. I love that. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was, the, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There's a lot of information in that one section. Here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that he is presenting him in a way that has not been presented so far. He is this glorious Christ. He refers to the fact that no one has seen him before. He's probably referencing back in Exodus, like way back on the left side of your Bible. Back in Exodus, it was like 33 and 34, excuse me, Genesis 33, 34, where Moses said, hey God, let me see your face. I want to see you. And you know what God said? Oh, no, sis, brother, you can't do it. Can't handle it. Can't handle it. No one can see the face of God. He talks about the law, and he refers back to Moses. Well, this is something we need to understand. Like the Old Testament, the law was like a big deal, wasn't it? It was like that was the thing. Everybody was trying to do all the rules and follow all the rules and do all the sacraments and do all the festivals and all the things. There's a lot of things to do. That was the law. The law was this. It was not a display of grace. It was simply a demand for a need of holiness. In other words, it demonstrated our inability to get it right on our own. The law was unattainable. We needed a savior. Grace. We have law and then Jesus comes and we have grace. When he uses the term grace upon grace, you know what that means? Like in modern day, like you can all cap something or bold it, right? Or like underline it or like, I don't know, like on Instagram, you can do all kinds of stuff now. But that's what that is. He's just highlighting that. When he says grace upon grace, he's not just saying grace, guys. He's saying a super abundance of grace that has never been experienced towards mankind ever before. It's important. And so 18 verses, he tells us who this Christ is. And he wants us to what? We learned in chapter 20, he wants us to know and understand and believe so that we can have eternal life. And it starts with 18 verses. I bet he was tired after he wrote those 18 verses. They're heavy. Well, he goes on and he shares in the next three chapters, and we're going to whiz through it like, real fast we're going to go through this there was encounters and experiences and there was actually five they are um, that there was in John 2 there was the wedding miracle in John 2 he did the cleansing of the temple in uh, John 3 he was hanging out with a Pharisee named Nicodemus remember that in John 4 he greets a woman at the well in Samaria and in John 4 he heals the official's son 
Every one of these encounters matters to us, 2018, Flower Mound, Texas. you realize that? At the wedding, you covered a lot of this in your homework, so I'm not going to go too deep. But at the wedding, you know what I loved when I read it? He was a guest. He was a guest, but he was also a son. He had his mama, did he not? And his mama wasn't playing around, was she? <laughs> the thing that I love about their interchange, is, it was just, it's hard to kind of follow because we don't understand culture of that time. But when he said the word woman, everybody relax. It wasn't a derogatory term because he was Jesus, guys. He was Jesus, so it was okay. It was actually a, a, a something that they used to greet each other often. But you know what I love? My favorite part of that whole thing was, it was this. It was that his mom said, okay, hey, so like do your Jesus thing. I know who you are. Like it's time. Roll up your sleeves. Let's go. And he said, woman, it's not my time, right? And then it was his time, which I don't know. We'll go back to that later. But you know, my, favorite, my favorite four words of that entire miracle, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. In that moment, mama quit being mama, and she started being follower of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Do whatever he says. With his voice, with his voice alone, he makes something happen that could not have happened otherwise. He becomes a supplier. He becomes a sustainer. He creates an environment that was made to glorify him as Savior. Seems weird, right? The whole water to wine, like why at a wedding? I don't understand. Why is that the first one? Think about this. Um, in Exodus 7, have any of you just been browsing through Exodus 7 lately? Just little light reading. Jot it down. I dare you. Go do that. There were these plagues that happened in the Old Testament, and they're gnarly. They're yucky. Um, But you know what the first plague was? It was water turned into blood. Water turned into blood. And that was intended to speak judgment But the beauty is this first miracle is water turned to wine. And that was intended to speak life and grace. And you know what's cool too? Like that first miracle, it wasn't like, like it would have been me. I would have gotten the microphone and been like, hey, everybody, check, check. All right, we got six water bowls and they're about to become wine. Drum roll, please. Here we go. Jesus, ready? Do your thing. Like Jesus is standing back doing his thing, just talking, just being Jesus. Nobody knew except who? Servants. The servants knew the source. Interesting. I don't know. I love it. That's who Jesus is. He's not about the show. The second thing we learn about um, and Jesus in John 2 is the cleansing of the temple. And, and I want you to think about this. When you look back on this, one of our leaders in the small group time said, think about Easter Sunday. Just real quick for a minute. I don't even care if you don't go to church, but you've probably been to church on an Easter Sunday. Amen? Is anybody able to find parking spaces? No. It's real crowded, isn't it? Everybody looks pretty. There's probably lots of pictures going on. Well, that's kind of how this whole scene unfolded. Like, it was crazy land in the church. Like, this is the big church thing. And he walks in and he turns it upside down. I love this Jesus. Can I say that? This is my Jesus. I'm not a big, like, the flowy hair, real soft and gentle, and the pictures that you see where he's with the lamb and the children. Like, I like this guy. He's like, enough is enough. We are turning tables upside down and we're making things right. And that's what he did. He came to set everything right. He decided that monetizing religion for convenience and gain or rationalizing the decay of their actions was not okay. Does anybody see any of that happening today? Man, we need to turn some tables over, don't we? 
He cleansed the temple. John 3, we go into this part where he meets Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And I know if you're like me, like I always hear that word Pharisee and I always think like they were the bad guys. Well, they weren't really the bad guys always. Like here's what they were. They were rule followers. Any rule followers in the room? Let's unite. Let's have a meeting out there. It'll be start in it on time. Right out. No. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a Pharisee. And so we don't really know a lot about, um, about his theology necessarily, but we know he was really good at following a lot of rules. And, and the reason why we think negatively of the Pharisees is a lot of these guys that followed a lot of these rules didn't like Jesus messing up the rules. They were like, we've been doing it this way for hundreds of years, and we're going to stick with this. And Jesus came in and turned the tables, didn't he? And so Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden we find out something that becomes pivotal to our understanding of belief. He, he throws that whole second birth thing out there, doesn't he? Jesus says to him, it's about being born again, verse 3, 3, again. Consider this. I know that that term, it's, it, can, it, can be, uh, it can be polarizing sometimes because we do that, don't we? We mess, we mess with, with, with words. But I want you to think about this. When you see the words born again, I want you to consider take away again and put up from above. Born from above. Physical birth, spiritual birth. That's what he's talking about. He's telling Nicodemus, like, you were born for sure. You, you know, you're here and, that, and all that. But now it's time to look God face to face and be born again. Amen? He tells him what that means. He reminds him that new life comes through salvation through Jesus alone. Not through water baptism through Jesus. He came to show us that a restart is only truly possible with a rebirth. In verse, um, excuse me, chapter 4, we go on and we, we learn about the woman at the well. I'm going to pause because I'm going to come back to that and spend a little time there. But then we see the healing of the official son, don't we? And we see that what happens is the, the official son, not only is his son healed, but the official believes and then he sees the miracle. I love the idea of that. He overcame time and space with his words. He proved who he is. Like some of these miracles and signs, like they're so unorthodox. Like I wouldn't have done it that way. And God's like, yeah, because I'm not your God. I'll let him be God. I'll let me be Chris. The woman at the well. We're going to spend a couple minutes there before we close up because I feel like today... We're all women coming to a well, aren't we? We're all women coming to a well. In John 4, we read about Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Did he need to go through Samaria? Did he? He did. It's a trick question. There was a different route that most of the Jews would take. That was an understood. His disciples were probably like, wait, this is where we turn left? And Jesus is like, no, actually, we're going to go right through Samaria. Let me explain to you a little bit about what the history there was, just real briefly. Um, there, there was a lot of bad blood more than 700 years before this actually occurred. And what actually happened was the Assyrians captured the area called Samaria, okay, the part where Jesus goes through and meets the lady at the well, okay, and they deported a bunch of Israelites who they thought were too gifted and too wealthy. It's weird, right? 
but they kept the ones that they, th they thought would be willing to um, mix in with their culture. And so what they did was these foreigners um, brought in their pagan gods and they intermarried with these, with these um, Israelites. And so all of a sudden you have this mixed group, this mixed race of people who if you are a, a rule-abiding um, Jew, now that is like the dirtiest of the dirty and we will never go there. Right? And so I think about our disciples. I think about us. I think about our disciples who were like, um, yeah, Jesus, so we'll follow you and kumbaya and it'll be so, oh my gosh, it's going to be so cool. Except, hey, we're not, we're not going there because that's nasty and dirty and those people, no, we're not going there. Anybody relate to that? I unfortunately relate to that. Like I want to choose, right, where God's going to use me. Well, the disciples didn't get a choice, did they? Because you're following Jesus, he's going to take you to the dirty, dark places because that's where those of us that are hanging out really need him to come. Amen? He had an appointment. He had an appointment at a well. It was 6 o'clock in the evening. Not an ideal time to come get water. Most of the women would come get water early in the day. Well, this woman was there in the evening. Not only was she there in the evening, but she had, this is so cool, the longest conversation recorded with Jesus Christ in the Bible. A Samaritan woman. Men and women didn't hang out and chat, mind you, in these days, let alone a Samaritan and a Jew, let alone at 6 p.m. at a well. So many things were wrong with this story from the get-go. No wonder the disciples were like, hey, we're going to go get food. We'll be back, right? So here he is. He speaks to her, and he does this. I'm going to tell you three things that he did in the course of this interaction at the well. He does this. Number one, he pursued her. Do you see that? He came to her and he asked her. What did he ask her for? He said, hey, give me a drink. But then what did he say he had? Living water. Weird. I need a drink. But then he says, I have the living water. I have what you need. She didn't ask him for anything. He pursued her. If you're in here in a chair right now, can I make you a little statement that I'm going to stand behind? And I, I think that this is probably true. You are being pursued Wherever your well is, whatever it looks like, he is pursuing you today like he pursued her that day. And this is what's so cool. He pursued her, but you know what else he did? He looked in her face and he knew who she was. It wasn't like she pretended, well, she sort of pretended like she wasn't who she said she, who she really was, didn't she? She wanted it to kind of appear a certain way. But as, as my little, my daughter, who's not little now, she's like 15, but when she was little and I was playing with her and stuff, she would always say to me, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's play Barbies, whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm doing my thing. I'm kind of half doing the dishes and everything. And, and she'd be like talking and doing the play thing. And she'd go, mommy, listen to me. And you know what I'm going to say, Becky, you know what I'm going to say. And you know what she would say? Mommy, listen with your face. <laughs> because I wasn't really paying attention, right? And so when I see this, I think about Jesus and I think to myself, like, he spoke to her. And he looked her in the eye. And I think he listened with his face. Did anybody look her in the eye anymore? Like, was she just old news? Just everybody knew that she was wrecked in a mess, and let's just not look at her anymore. And here is this Jew looking her in the face and telling her what she needs. It blows my mind that he pursues her. You know, he pursues us. It's almost like you hear her saying, even me? And he's like, it was always you. The other thing that he does is he gives her a free choice, doesn't he? 
He didn't force anything on her. She gets to decide, am I going to lean in and listen, or am I going to continue on with my current reality? How's it working out for you? You're 6 p.m. at the well by yourself, and no one will look at you. How's it working out? He gives her a choice. Um, And you know what's really interesting when you read through Scripture? This might possibly be the first time he openly admits to being the Messiah. To a Samaritan woman. Wow. A non-believing Samaritan woman. And he says, I am the Messiah. I am the living water. I'm what you need. The third thing is she gets the honor to go and tell. Once she has recognized him for who he is, she gets to go and tell. She's the first missionary to the Samaritan people. She gets to go and tell. You know, a friend of mine, um, her life changed a few years ago when she studied this this part of Scripture. Because you know why? She realized um, that she had a story to tell. A story that might change truth for people. It might change what people are believing. She has this dark Samaritan woman history that she never told anybody. But she said, you know what? When I read this, I realized it was time to tell. And she stood up in front of a lot of you and she told her story. Because she had a Jesus that pursued her in the darkness of her story. And she knew once she believed that it was time to stand up and tell everybody. It was time to run back to the village and tell them. Amen. And that's what this woman did. She ran back and told him. And what happened because she did that? Do you remember? Many believed. Many believed. Not because Jesus came with his light show and got up and had a podium and stood up and talked. Many believed because they saw transformation in the life of this broken woman and they saw her go back and tell he is who he says he is and many believed. The first missionary to Samaria. He came to show that his love doesn't have any boundaries and that the voice of the willing is useful. He used her voice. He used John the Baptist's voice. He used his voice. Amen? He pursues you, he gives you free choice, and he gives you a chance to go tell. It's the bottom line. The, uh, the, my favorite version of the Bible, my, it's very, very complex. So for those of you that are not as well educated as I am, I went to tech, then you, you might, this may be a little much for you, but this is my favorite version of the Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it about works for my... Um, my brain level, and I think it might work for you too. When we close, I want to share um, the story from, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I want you to consider this rescue that's beginning. It says, one day, Jesus, I'll try not, I mean, I'll try not to talk in little children voice, but I didn't do this, I'll show you the pictures. Although they're really cool, you should come up and look at it afterward. One day, John was baptizing people in the Jordan River, as usual, When he looked up and he saw a man walking down to the water's edge, God spoke quietly to John. This is the one. John's heart leapt. This was the moment that he'd been waiting for his whole life. Look, John said, as Jesus came down into the water, but his voice came out as a whisper. And he couldn't make it any louder. It was all he could do to even speak. The Lamb of God... God's best lamb who takes away the sins of the whole world. 
Will you baptize me too, Jesus said. Who am I, John asked, to baptize you? It's what God wants me to do, Jesus said. So John baptized Jesus. Suddenly, it was as if someone had drawn back the curtains in a dark room and as if heaven itself had opened because a beautiful light broke through the clouds and shone down onto Jesus, bathing him in gold. Beads of water glittered and sparkled like tiny diamonds in his hair. And a white dove flew down and gently rested on Jesus. And a voice came down from heaven and it was clear and it was strong and it was loud. And the voice said, this is my own son and I love him and I'm very pleased with him, God said. Listen to him. Heaven had broken through and the great rescue had begun. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. Do what he says. There are people in your world that have been a voice to you. There are people in the world that point you toward Jesus, whether or not you've wanted to call it that or not. There are people in the world who have invited you to Bible study or church or just to hang out and and be cool with you who love Jesus. Who are those people? And with that, I ask you this. Who are you a voice to? Never doubt that you have a voice. Who are you telling? What are you telling? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the voice of our Savior who we see in these chapters, for the voice of those who come before and point to him, for the voice of those who are transformed and point to him. God, may we be voices. We want to be voice. Lord, help us do that. Show us the places you want us to be a voice. Show us those who have been a voice in our lives who we can appreciate and, and be thankful for, God. And above all, Lord, we, um, if, if there are people in this room who do not know that you weren't just a, a, a mean God who, who punishes us and, and all that, Lord, that you are a God who loves us so much that you sent your son. Lord, I pray that they understand that today. It's, it's urgent. So thank you, God, for over and over making sure that we know who your son is. The rescue has begun. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, run to get your children.